the theme for today is how God changes us. The first reading is from Genesis 32, verse 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And the second reading is from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the third reading is from Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by, by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ.
Thank you, Jody. If you're following along, uh, I'm going to stick mainly in Genesis um, 32, verses 22, the story of Jacob. But before we do that, let's pray. Father God, as we come to now look at your word, hear from it, and hear what you would have to say to us, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be uh, really at work in us, be at work in me, that my words would be your words, that I would say those things that you once said here today. And be at work in our hearts, Lord. There's so many things that can vie for our attention, our affections and our desires. Lord, may your spirit compel us to desire you and to seek to hear this word, that it would not just be information, but revelation and lead to transformation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when the uh, COVID-19 pandemic began back in early 2020, the government moved pretty quickly and brought in a whole lot of restrictions uh, to manage the crisis. And those restrictions actually brought a whole lot of changes into our lives very quickly and very suddenly. And um, it took, for a lot of us, quite a bit to get used to. Even if you didn't work, because I know there's a lot of retired people here, Suddenly, all your activities were possibly cancelled and you couldn't have access to family and friends face-to-face. If you did work, suddenly you were asked to work from home. If you had children, you might have even had to school them for a short time. And we were pretty lucky here in Adelaide. We didn't get the big lockdowns like Melbourne or Sydney. And there was all this talk of a really big financial recession coming our way. So there was a lot of anxiety about what our futures were going to look like. Well, as time went on, some of the restrictions were released a bit, but we had to live with them. People started to notice, actually, yeah, these are restrictive, but there's some positive things going on here. We're not so busy anymore with all these activities. It's actually nice having a bit of space in our lives. For those of us who don't do much, well, we didn't notice that one. That's probably me, but (laughs) I know some people said, oh, they're whinging about being at home. That's my life, someone said. I know, but, but, you know, it wasn't so busy. Those who initially thought working from home was going to be terrible actually found it quite good. They didn't have to travel, so they saved that time. Zoom meetings were always shorter than face-to-face. Suddenly they were more productive and they could, you could do it all in the comfort of your tracksuit pants and Ugg boots. No prizes for guessing what I was wearing when I wrote this message. Or <laughs> and households in the response to the financial threat actually started paying down debt They weren't going anywhere or having expensive holidays, so they started saving. And, you know, there was a sense of, well, how can we keep some of these good things going once the restrictions lift? Now, I haven't done a survey on this, but my observations since the restrictions have lifted, and from what I hear in the news is, by and large, most people have gone right back to where they were before. (laughs) People are just as busy, just as stressed, and financially are stressed, and we've got the added but, you know, the stress of, of rising costs. And, and you know, it's just gone straight back. And, I, and what I feel by looking at that is it really highlights how hard it is to actually change. I think if we think about it that way, I mean, even if you've managed the change for a bit, particularly if circumstances force that change on you, as soon as those factors are lifted, we go straight back to where we were before. Well, today I want to look at how... God changes us, because it's not an easy process. But before I look at that, I want to say from the outset, and I want to ground this message in this reality, and that is God loves you just the way you are. 
but he loves you way too much to just leave you that way. And by this I mean this, well, there's no change you can make in your life, no bad habit you can conquer, no weakness of a character that you can strengthen that will make God love you anymore. He loves you just the way you are, and he loves you that way because he looks at you through the lens of his son Jesus, the perfect one. So when he looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. But he's not blind to your imperfections either. And he knows how much trouble they often bring into your lives and the lives of those around you, that he wants to work in you through his spirit to change you, to actually become more and more like Jesus, his son, the perfect one he's looking through. He's now going to say, I want to make you more and more like that. And we know that that's only going to be finished on the other side of our lives in eternity, but even now he's working on that. So we're going to look at how God went about changing Jacob, somebody who lived in Old Testament times. And from this story, we see some steps that God often uses, not always, but often uses to bring about change in our lives. And the first thing we see that happens in Jacob's life that makes him ready for change is a crisis. Crises create fertile environment for change. We saw that in the COVID-19 crisis. Suddenly people are open to considering new things. Maybe you're in a crisis right now. Well, if you are, you're well-placed for God to change you. Why is crisis fertile ground for change? Well, the reality is that often your biggest battle in life is not with your difficult relationships or your past or your money problems or, or your job or your health or even your kids, whatever. Your biggest battle's not there. It's actually your struggle with God. And crises invariably lead us to struggle with God because they're out of our control. That's what a crisis is, a situation put on us where things are out of control. Who likes things when they're out of control? None of us. So we want control, but we don't have it. The only person we acknowledge has control is God. So we wrestle with God in a crisis because usually we're thinking, God, you're not doing enough in this crisis to fix it. Or if you are doing the right thing, you're not doing it fast enough. So in Genesis 32, we've got this story of Jacob. And Jacob knew what it was like to wrestle with God during a crisis. Jacob's crisis is that he's about to meet his twin brother, whom he'd basically swindled out of his life inheritance many years before. And so he's scared to death. He's not sure of what's going to happen. So the night before he's about to meet his brother, he sends his wife and kids and a whole lot ahead of him and puts them between his brother. Real courage this is, isn't it? And then he's on his own. And in Genesis 32, 24, we pick up the story. Let's see what happens next. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that was so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, some people want to debate who Jacob's wrestling with here, but in verse 30, Jacob actually acknowledges that he saw God face to face in this encounter, and he lived. So Jacob had been wrestling with God. In fact, Jacob had been pretty much wrestling all his life. He started in the womb with his brother, wrestled with him there, and even after they were born, he wrestled with him the whole time he was 
arguing with his father-in-law, but his biggest battle was his battle with God. The root of all our problems is actually our struggle with God. We want to be in control. We want to be in control. And we wrestle with God over that. And God often brings that wrestling to a boiling point by allowing a crisis into our life. So what, where we don't have control. Now, what's the objective in wrestling? You try to pin the other guy down the ground and basically say, I've got control, you submit. So all of our lives, we're in a battle with God over who's going to be in control. Is it me or is it God? And God allows crisis often into our lives to get our attention. It's a bit like telephone call from heaven where he flattens us on our back, we've got to look up, and we're forced to face what's going on. And why does God allow that to happen? Because we rarely change until the pain is greater than our fear of change. We don't change when we see the light, we change when we feel the heat. So that's why God often uses a crisis. The second step we see happen in this account is a commitment. Now in the commitment phase, and this is what we see from Jacob's end of the deal, is that we refuse to let go. This is where we kind of say, I'm sticking in with this until I work something out, until I get something out of this. This is what Jacob did. He wrestles with this guy all night, and then we pick up the story. Then the man said to him, and then the guy dislocates his hip, and then the man says to him, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, we don't know if Jacob, Jacob knew it was God in the moment. He did later. But Jacob knew in the moment that this guy was somehow stronger than him or he couldn't overpower him. And he decided to go, I'm going to ask this guy for a blessing. It was something they did in those times. I, I can't really got, got time to go in how that worked. But rather, he's going, I want you to bless me. I'm, I'm not going to let you go until I get something out of this. Now, the interesting thing with this story is if it's God he's fighting with, couldn't God just overpower him and that's it? Yeah. So... I think the struggle talked about here, or at least a good part of it in this wrestling, is probably the struggle of Jacob's will with God. Because God never overpowers our will. He could, but he waits until we surrender. And God kept wrestling with Jacob until finally he reaches a point where he would stop resisting and say, all right, I want your blessing now. God often allows us to struggle in life, struggle in our crisis to the point where we reach a point where we stop resisting and fighting him and instead ask for his help. See, God uses crises to show us things about him and who he is, but also to mould our character, to teach us things that are going to help us live out the change he's trying to work in us. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, what would happen if God answered every prayer we uttered to him instantly? We'd turn into a sport brat. We know that with kids. We'd, we'd become selfish and we would just expect God to fix everything. And actually, if God did that, we'd still be in control and God would be our genie in the bottle. We'd just, uh, 
we would just ask a prayer and he'd fix it. And we would never learn anything to change the situation. You know, I've heard someone, you know, someone goes, I'm praying I win lotto this week because my finances are in such a mess I need a miracle to get out of them. And my question to them would be, did you get into your financial mess miraculously? No. Got into the mess because of really bad choices with their money. They overspent. They bought things they didn't need. They didn't put any money aside for the crisis that often come. So what would happen if their financial situation, you know, miraculously there was a big windfall of money? Okay, they might pay the debt off, but what would happen then? They'd keep going out and overspending. They would never learn the things that would sustain the change to keep them out of that problem. It's the same with so many things in our lives. Most of the time, God doesn't instantly bail us out of the messes we get ourselves into. It doesn't mean he's washed his hands of us and said, no, he wants to help us. He wants to help you work on those changes you need in your life, whether it's the way you relate to people, whether it's the challenges in your marriage, whether it is the way you use your money, the list goes on and on. He wants to help you, but he wants to help you in a way that will help you sustain the changes, that will help you move forward from those problems. Are you in a crisis at the moment? Are you facing a major problem? What Jacob shows us is hang in there. Don't give up. Don't run from it. Don't try and escape and ignore the problem. Hang in there and see what God wants to do to work in you, to bring you out of that. See, many of the problems we make for ourselves, we've been working at for years. <laughs> and God wants to work in us those, those bad habits, those things about our character that we keep ignoring. God wants to work on those. But he can't do it all in one go. Because if he changed us completely, I think we'd, we wouldn't cope with it, neither would the people around us. So he strips back one thing at a time. And he often uses crisis to show us those things and then he works on that. And one of the ways God works is through other trusted, godly people where we can work, where they can... We actually don't see where we need to grow often if we're by ourselves all the time, but it's only when we bang up with other people that they become obvious. But God uses trusted, a trusted Christian friend or a good Christian small group or a godly counsellor to help us peel back the things and process them and work through them. And maybe one application from today's message might be for you to find someone that you can be open and honest with about your struggles so that they can help you work through that. The next step we see, and I alluded to this earlier in the service today, is the confession. This is the toughest phase because it's where we admit that we're the problem. Who likes admitting that? None of us do. But it's crucial that it is the breakthrough when we stop wrestling with God and go, God, actually, you're not the issue here. I am. Look at verse uh, 32, 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, you might think, well, that's a bit of a strange request. This is God. Does God know his name? Yep. Why is he asking his name? Well, in ancient times, your name said a lot about who you were. You weren't given your name just because it sounded nice or you read it in the Woman's Weekly. It said a lot about who you were. Now, that's a problem. 
for Jacob because Jacob means deceiver, manipulator, and liar. And Jacob had done an absolute awesome job of living up to his name all his life. Uh, He had lied to his dad who was going blind. He cheated his brother out of his rightful inheritance. He used his father-in-law. So when Jacob says, my name is Jacob, he's actually owning up to who he really is. I often wonder if you and I were named for our greatest character fault. What would your name be? Hi, I'm greedy. I'm bitter. Hi, I'm angry. I'm lustful. I'm uh, a gossip. I'm compulsive. And the list goes on. What would your name be if you were named after your biggest character flaw? You and I will never be able to change until we openly, authentically, and honestly admit our sin. Firstly to ourselves, and with that then to God, and then even to each other. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what is grace in this verse? Well, I think it's grace is grace for the power to change. One of the most humbling things we can do is confess to God, this is who I am. I am A, and you fill in the blank. When we humble ourselves by confessing who we are, God gives us his grace. And when we've been through this confession stage, then the next stage happens, and I'm calling it a conversion. I'm not meaning a conversion to faith, but it's where we change. But in this phase, for Jacob... He's actually given a new identity. That's how great the conversion is for him. Let's read on from verse 28. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. Now the real transformation begins for Jacob and we see three things happen. Jacob gets a new identity. God says, yeah, your name was Jacob. Yeah, you were a liar, deceiver and a a conniving person, but no, that's the old you. I now see you as Israel, which means prince with God. God's basically saying to Jacob, I know you've blown it. I know you've swindled people and and you're always running. But no, I don't see you that way. I see you as a prince. Now, it's interesting as we reflect on this story for us, we go, many are going, well, I haven't had this crisis where I've got this new identity and big conversion happen. No, maybe not. You haven't had a crisis. But actually, if you were baptised you were joined to the one who went through a crisis, who wrestled all night with God and into the next day until he died on the cross for you and me. In our baptism, we're joined with the death of Jesus and the resurrection. And in that process, we are given a new identity where God looks at you and says, you are my dearly, valuably, valuable love child. And because we're joined to Jesus and Jesus reigns in heaven with God, Well, God does look at you and goes, you're a princess. You're a prince. We're given our new identity. And I think what crisis does, God wants to really give us a revelation back to who we really are. 
that we are his dearly loved children. So maybe we don't go through a conversion, but we're reminded of who God really sees us to be. Second thing that happens to Jacob is God blesses him. And God certainly wants to bless you and help you be all that he's made you to be. And Jacob is given a reminder. Jacob is given a reminder of his experience, so he'll never forget what's happened. God gave him a limp. Can I let you a secret? I woke up this morning with a sore hip. (laughs) Method acting is when you, you know, you kind of force the pain on you to act well. And I've got method preaching, I think, today. What happened to it? Well, I just got old, didn't I? So... Anyway, the story says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. So if you remember the struggle, God dislocated his hip and left a weakness. And it seems to animate in the story, he had that limp for the rest of his life. It was a reminder of this event. You know, when you really meet God, really meet him and encounter him, you'll never walk quite the same again. You cannot meet someone who's as great as God and not having something changed in your heart. So what was the significance of this limp for Jacob? Well, when you look at the story, it stopped his lifelong pattern of running. Jacob was continually ending up in a crisis and wrestling with someone and then eventually he'd run away from that and then run from the next one. And God says, well, I can fix that. Here, now dislocate your hip. Secondly, it's a daily reminder to Jacob to depend on him. Told your thigh muscle is the largest and strongest muscle in your body and God touched Jacob at his greatest point of strength and he created a weakness out of it. So from that point on, Jacob was going to have to stand in the power of God, not his own. So he left this encounter both weaker but also stronger at the same time. Weaker in that he's got a physical, uh, you know, restriction, but stronger because he's learning to depend more on God. It was a reminder. You know, if I'm really honest with you guys, I used to take an enormous amount of pride in how much I could get done in a day. Grew up in a farm, Protestant work ethic was all about how hard you could work. And if I'm honest, I trusted more in my capacity to get things done than... God to help me do it. Yet God allowed into my life a health struggle that greatly decreased my energy and my capacity to work. I can't trust my own strength and capacity like I used to. I have to look to God to, to help me get done what I need to do. And given that it's ongoing, it's a daily reminder that I've got to depend on God. And it's not just for the strength, but actually the wisdom to know what to choose to do and what not to do. So, in a sense, you could say I'm weaker, but I'm stronger because I depend on God. Maybe you've had something happen in your life that has changed things and have left you in a way that you would say has made you weaker. And it's not going to change back to the other way. And you've got to live with that every day. Is there a way you can look at that and go, yes, it's not good, it's hard, but actually look at it in a way that can be a daily reminder for you to keep looking to God and depending on him. Jacob's given a new name and a new identity. God does his deepest work in you when he works on identity issues. And by that I mean, well, 
the way you see yourself greatly affects your life. If you see yourself as a such and such kind of person, you're probably going to act that way. And then the other thing is you're going to filter everything people say and do to you through your view of how you see yourself and so often you're going to end up misinterpreting their intentions because you're putting it through this distorted view of yourself. God does his deepest changes in your life by changing the way you see yourself. He says, let me show you how I see you. I see you through the eyes of love. I see you through my son Jesus who I sent to die for you on the cross. I see you as valuable and worthwhile. And I want you to see yourself as I see you. And when you see that, it's going to change you. Nothing can change you more than knowing and following the person of Jesus. He is the specialist in transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You don't have to stay the same. You can be who God has created you to be in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your unconditional love. We thank you that you love us the way we are, yet you love us so much that you don't want us to stay the same. You can see the potential that lies in us and you want to help us discover it and grow it in our lives. Lord, for those of us who are really battling with something at the moment, help us to see it as an opportunity for growth. Give us the courage and persistence to hang in with it and to trust in your provision to help us work through it. Above all, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us a clear picture of who we are in Jesus. Show us our true identity. And in doing so, may we be encouraged in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for our next song, Hope Has a Name.